The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Good morning to you. If you would like to take your seats. It's good to see you in the house of God this morning. I'm trusting that you are well. See, the front rows are well. How's the back rows? Are they well? Um, Folks, I'm going to ask you all to stand up, please. Because we're going to... We're just going to pray a little bit first. So if you just want to stand with me, I'll just start praying, and then I'd like you to just join in. We want to lift up the name of the Lord. We want to seek His face. We're here. We're not here because we come to a religious service. There's that sense in which we think sometimes we've come to church. So we just come... No, we've come to meet the living God. I don't know about you, but I have need of meeting God. I have need of encountering His presence. There are things in my life and in my family, in my circumstances, that I need a breakthrough from God. And as I look out across you, I know for one and another of you, the same is true. We need to encounter His presence. Listen, are you facing loneliness in life? We need to find Him because he is the one who is the greatest friend of all. We're finding lack in any department, any area. We're finding difficulty with health issues, finding trouble in the family. We're just feeling like things are lost. We need him. You know, one of our greatest things is that we keep going to our own strength, and we don't need our own strength. We need to find strength in him. He is the one who is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. And it's Him that we need. When His presence comes, His face shines upon you, you feel loved. You feel that you are here for purpose. You feel as though nothing else matters because you have found the wholeness of life itself. You're no longer running around, scurrying around, trying to make other people notice you because God Himself is shining His face upon you. And His delight is in you. Father, we seek your face. Our hearts, oh God, we humble before you because it is you that we need. It is your glory, oh God, that we seek for. Lord, you are the one who can satisfy. You alone are the one who brings life. You are the one, oh God, in whom life is found, Lord. And you have come to impart life to your people. Father, you do not want to be estranged from us because you are the God who has sent his Son to remove every separation that there was between humanity and you, our Creator. Our declaration is that you are the one who is worthy of praise. We gaze upon you, Lord. Father, in the midst of all of the the struggles, the strifes, the, the questions, the things that come against the stillness of our minds before you, Father, we stand against those things and we say, Almighty God, come and break in upon our lives. Father, we offer to you our hearts. We surrender ourselves to you. 
We submit before your authority. We bow before your throne. We bring our worship, our adoration. We bring our hearts. We bring our lives to you because we need you. Lord, have mercy upon us. In your word you have said that we do not have a high priest who does not understand our needs, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. And so you tell us to boldly come to find fresh grace, to find fresh mercy for our time of need. Father, we come to you right now because our hearts need more grace, because we need a fresh touch of your mercy upon us, because, Lord, there is lack in our lives. Lord, there is separation from you, and we want to be drawn close to you. So let your presence and your glory overshadow every heart. Lord, bring your stillness to our minds. Bring your stillness to our hearts. Minister by your grace. Lord, let everything that is not of you be cast aside and let your presence and your glory fill our attention, oh God. We worship you. We magnify you. We glorify you. You who are from everlasting to everlasting. You who are beyond, in many senses, our comprehension. We give praise into your holy name. And we declare there is none like you. We thank you that you are indeed the lover of our souls. You are the lifter of our heads. And we give praise to you. Father, let your word come to our hearts. Let who you are be revealed to our minds. Awaken our understanding. Lord, visit your people. You've promised in your word that you would be our God and that we will be your people that you would write your laws and your commands upon our hearts. Father, we pray in this time when we are here to encounter you, Lord, that you indeed would write your laws upon our hearts and that you would visit us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Please do take your seats again. Thank you, Dan. Well, you are aware that we're, we're here to start a new series, and this series is about fearing God and yet living. And it's a strange thing, because this word, the fear of the Lord, it, it's something that sort of we hear about because it's a biblical term, where we need to fear the Lord, but we don't necessarily fully understand it. There's something about it that sort of seems to estrange ourselves. Oh, fear, I, I, I want to sort of stand away from that because it sounds a little bit weird. And so we want to try to unpack that. Today we really want to look at what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? And we've got a few points that we're going to go through, the first of which is going to appear on that screen there. You did notice that it wasn't working, yeah? Shall I stand this side so it feels like everything? I noticed that actually this side is fuller than that side this week. It's uh, hardly surprising. People realize they feel lack without the screen in front of them. We've sent the machine off to be mended, and we pray that it will be mended soon. So up on here, we're going to have some points. The first point we're going to look at under this, what does it mean to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Understanding what it means to fear. There's lots of fear in the world. There's a university in America that understood a, uh, undertook a study, a survey of American people to find out what sort of fears they were encountering. And this is only just last year. Well, actually, they've done it for the last few years, but last year they do it each year at the moment to see how things are changing. 
And in 2016, they took a random sample of just over 1,500 people across the United States, and they asked them a number of questions relating to different uh, sort of spheres of fear. Let me open that up so you've got some understanding of what I'm talking about. For instance, these are some of the spheres, crime, the economy, the environment, government. For instance, in crime, they're asking people, well, what sort of fear do you have of crime? Do you fear that your house is going to be burgled? Do you fear murder? Do you fear rape? Do you fear theft, fraud, identity theft? What sort of fear do you have in this particular category? Then they move on to another category, economic category. Do you fear not having enough money for the future, about being unemployed? Do you fear about a collapsing economy? And so on, the environment, global warming, overpopulation, pollution, government, government corruption. In this case, they were talking about Obamacare, drones, gun control, illness and death, high medical bills, becoming ill, dying, immigration and demographic changes, illegal immigration, whites no longer being the majority in the United States. Man-made disasters, biological warfare, terrorism, nuclear attacks, natural disasters, earthquakes, droughts, floods, hurricanes, personal fears, tight spaces, public speaking, clowns, being vaccinated, relationships, significant others cheating on you, others talking about you behind your back, technology, artificial intelligence, robots, and cyber-terrorism. And you know, what interested me when I started to read that was, you think like, wow, yeah, there are some of those areas that you think, yeah, that affects me. And other areas you think, that doesn't worry me. I'm not particularly worried about the environment. Now, those of you who are will be thinking like, why, why isn't he not worried about the environment? We should all be worrying about it. Because you have more of a tendency to be concerned about that than other things. Some people are very concerned about crime and about actually what could happen. I don't want to walk down a dark alleyway. You know, I, I, I must make sure that the door's locked before I leave the house. And, and they go through checking procedures because of that. Because they're concerned about what could happen. There's a whole range here of fears and phobias that people actually do fear. Personal relationships. This isn't something that's not real. This is something that's very real. Some people are very concerned about that person who's their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They're, they're wondering, what, what else are they doing? Yes, even Christian people are thinking these things. Let's not pretend that we don't understand relationships. Relationships affect everybody. And there are genuine fears Perhaps we're not so worried about the government here. And I did say this was actually took place in the United States. And there you see, because they are concerned about the rising cost of their medical bills. But you know, when you come here, what do you read in the press here? It's all about the NHS. This past week, it's been about the stresses and strains that are on our NHS. That's about our wealth, our health and well-being. And that's something that's affecting us. And it's something that can actually get us concerned. What is going to happen to me? Now, in church, we shouldn't really be saying, what's going to happen to me when I die? Because we should be trusting in God. But nevertheless, that is a fear that people can have. How am I going to cope, not if I die, but if the person I'm living with, or my mum, or my dad, or my brother, or my sister, if they should die, how am I going to cope in that situation? 
Suddenly we can be faced with these things. Even the concern about, is big brother watching over you? You know, on your phone, you can have an app where you can find out with your friends or your family where they are. So you think, hang on a second, if I can find out where they are, who can find out where I am? How much information does the government actually have about me, hidden away? Now, if you're a law-abiding citizen, you think, well, I've got nothing to worry about. But there are concerns. And when you go through all these things, people are concerned. Now, when it came to the top ten, actually, in this survey, they came out like this, which is quite interesting. And bearing in mind, some of this is American, okay? Corrupt government officials came out, 60% of the people were concerned about that. Terrorism attacks, 41% of the people were very concerned about terrorist attacks. 30, or 40%, 39.9% were concerned about not having enough money for the future. 38% were concerned about terrorism. 38% were concerned about government restrictions on firearms and ammunition. I know that doesn't quite affect us, and we all have an opinion here about America and firearms and stuff like that, but this is what they were concerned about. People I love dying, 38% of the people were very concerned about that. 37% were concerned about the economy and the financial collapse. 37% were concerned about identity theft. 35% were concerned about people I love becoming seriously ill. And 35% were concerned about affordable health care. Interesting. What is it that actually you are afraid of? You're afraid of not having enough money in the future? Do you ever think about that? I think about that sometimes. What is it that we're afraid of? You see, there is fear in all sorts of areas of our lives. Fear that we actually never even stop to think about. Generally speaking, it's just, oh, some things come from time to time. Suddenly something pops up and, oh, yes, I am concerned about that. You know what? God doesn't want us to be afraid of these things. He wants us to have a holy, awesome fear of who he is because he is the one who is in control and he is the one who is watching over. You know, we can spend all of our time worrying and worrying about what's going to happen in the future. God says you, you don't even have the power to affect whether you're taller or shorter than you are. You can't even turn your, the color of your hair from black to white. Well, you can if you use a dye, but you know what I mean. That's not the right way of doing it. We can't do those things, but God himself can. And this morning what we want to look at is not specifically these types of fears that I have been talking about, but we're seeking to understand what does it mean for us to fear God. The the dictionary, if we pick that up, describes fear like this in three different ways. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or pain. Concern or anxiety, reverential awe. That's what it describes fear as, those different things. And all of those things are wrapped up, really, in one sense, in an understanding of the fear of the Lord. But perhaps the one that is most understandable is this idea of reverential awe. There is something that we are, wow, we're in awe about rather than we are being very, very distressed emotionally about. So, understanding what it means to fear, that gives us a little bit of an understanding of what it means to fear. Secondly, 
the fear of the Lord. And we want to look at the fear of the Lord at Sinai. Because this is a moment in the Bible when we can really understand that there was an awesome fear of God. If we were to turn to Exodus 20, there we start to read this. Exodus 20, verses 18 to 21. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them. For God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Now, I'm just reading something, and it might seem out of context, so let's put this into context. What we have here is we have the children of Israel who have come out of Egypt. They were in Egypt as slaves, and God sent Moses to deliver them. So he brought them out of Egypt, and they came out of Egypt under the authority of Pharaoh as they were. They came out of Egypt by God doing signs, wonders, and miracles, sending plagues upon Egypt to actually cause Pharaoh to stop saying, no, you can't leave, to getting Pharaoh to say, get out of here. And all sorts of plagues came. He turned water, the water of the river Nile, turned to blood. There were frogs that came upon the land. There was darkness that came upon the land. All sorts of plagues came against them. And in the end, it was the death of the firstborn across any family that said the people just said, look, our country is devastating. Get out. And so God brought Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand, it says. And then the children of Israel, all their flocks, herds, all of their possessions, and indeed some of the money from Egypt that people had given to them, and the wealth of Egypt, went with them, and they went away from Egypt, and they started to wander around. They eventually came to the Red Sea, being led by a pillar of cloud. And at night they camped, and they thought, well, we've come to the Red Sea. What happens now? And you can imagine, it's like going down to Brighton, and there you are, you come to the end of the land, and there's the sea ahead of you, as it were, waiting to go into France. And you think, well, we haven't got a boat. And there's quite a lot of them. In fact, there's millions of people, children, wives, husbands, animals. There's millions of them. And they're standing on the seashore, and they're waiting, what's happening? Now, that's okay in one sense. Like, well, you know, God's going to bring a boat or something. But the trouble is the Egyptian army coming up behind you. And so you've got this Egyptian army. Now, we just thought we got away from Egypt. God has brought us out of there, but now the whole of the Egyptian army is coming. But God makes a way where there seemed to be no way, and he opens up the way between the water. And the children of Israel walk through on dry land. And then as the Egyptians follow, the waters come back over them, and the whole of the Egyptian army is wiped out. Because God and his power is showing he is leading. I am going to lead my people out of captivity and I'm going to take them into the promised land. And so it's in this journey, those things have happened. God has provided for Israel. In the midst of a desert, when you run out of sandwiches, what do you do? Well, actually, you start to say, hey, what have we got to eat? How are we going to cope? God provides for them with manna and he provides quail for them because they're moaning a bit too much. 
They run out of water. What does God do? He says to Moses, speak to that rock. Strike that rock, actually, is the first time. And as he hits this rock in the middle of a desert, water gushes out, and people have got water. God has delivered. God has saved. God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. God has provided for his people. God has brought his people out of captivity to this point, and now they come to a mountain in the desert, Mount Sinai, and they come here for one purpose, that God who had delivered them is going to speak to them. So there comes this day when there they are, they're gathered around this mountain, and they're given certain instructions, don't approach the mountain, this is a holy place, I'm calling Moses up to see me, and God comes down, but he comes down on the mountain with fire and smoke, like a furnace that is burning, but is burning on the top of a mountain. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's the sound of horns. And the people are terrified. Because there's that sense of, it's so awesome, so powerful, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my life. What if a lightning bolt strikes me? What if the fire comes out? This is so holy. There's literally a shaking because of the awesomeness of the presence of God. And that is what these people felt. They were afraid. Let me read on. It says in Exodus 19, so I'm going back a little bit. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. Just imagine if you were there. Everybody had the same heart. Wow. In fact, it was more than wow. It was like, what is going to happen next? And this is where we have this understanding of the word fear. You see, fear, we get afraid of things. The, the dark alleyway, you suddenly think, what could happen? There is a fear about walking down that alleyway. There's a fear about doing some things. What if global warming is going to affect us all? How is that going to happen? What if the, like, suddenly the River Thames overflows? What is going to happen to me? And there is that sense, you see, you understand the word fear in a different way. There's an awesomeness about it. There is a, oh, I don't know, I can't comprehend, I don't understand. It is beyond me. And that is how the Israelites were feeling at this moment. Now, it's in the midst of that that God then delivers the Ten Commandments to Moses. So God speaks. And it's almost like, wow. And God is saying, like, you shall have no other God before me. You see, it's in the midst of, this is who I am. Now, let me tell you about myself. And let me tell you about the way to live that God wanted to speak to these people. Having delivered to them the Ten Commandments, it still says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the smoke, they trembled with fear. And they said to Moses, look, this is almost too much for us. Moses, you speak to us because we're so afraid of God. And so Moses becomes their mouthpiece. 
But Moses says to them, look, don't, don't be afraid. The fear of the Lord, this sense of the awe of God, there is a purpose in that. That is to keep you from sinning. Because there's something about when you see him and you see how powerful and mighty and awesome our God really is. He's going to say, like, well, okay, I'm not going to do that then. <laughs> I better stay on the right side of him. I want to keep a good relationship with him. If this was a terrifying sight. To fear the Lord means that we have a deep-seated awe of God. A well-founded respect of him. An understanding of what he is like. We're not going to be able to know everything about him, but what we do know of him causes us to honour him and respect him. That's what the fear of the Lord is like. There's a couple of pictures I've got. I want to describe this now with looking at a scene. Now, I've never been here. This is Niagara Falls. But when you look at that picture, there is something about it you think like, wow. You can almost hear now, even as we're sitting here, the noise of the water going over the top. Look at the next picture, because suddenly we're taken from the view. That's looking at the water falling over. It almost makes me feel like I'm about to be pulled in and fall over the top. There is something, even in these pictures, which create in us some sort of... It makes you feel like, I don't know, like the bottom half of your body has just disappeared. There's something that it creates an understanding of awesomeness. There's something about that nature that is causing us to think, wow. Let's go to the next picture. You get a similar feeling when you look at the Grand Canyon. Here is just natural. This is a rock that's been carved out, but there's something that's quite amazing about it. Well, we don't even have to stay in America or Canada. Let's go to the next picture. This is actually up in the Lake District. This is Helvellyn, and this is Striding Edge. And so the idea is that you, there is a little pathway that goes right along that edge. Go to the next picture, and you'll see people walking along the pathway. Do you fancy that? Why don't you fancy that? Because it makes me feel afraid. Am I going to fall off one side or the other? This is such a narrow trip. Oh, no, I don't want to go. Do you understand what I mean? You see, when we look at these things, and these are natural things, there's something within us that causes us to... <gasps> that is something. It gives us some impression of the fear of the Lord. Something of what we're talking about. There is an awesomeness. There is something in us. Something that takes your breath away. Something that makes you feel afraid. But it's not a negative fear. It's a positive fear. Because the fear of the Lord can keep you holy. It can keep you from sinning. It has a product to it. Okay, let's look at our third point. The fear of the Lord and how it can affect us. In our film, there's two characters, two Bible characters that were mentioned, Isaiah and the Apostle John. And we're going to look briefly at them. The example of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, in verses 1 to 4, we read of Isaiah having an encounter with God. And it says this, in the year that King Isaiah died. So in other words, he's writing in his diary and he's saying like, look, I, when was that? I remember that was the year that this happened. 
Just as we, in our own minds, have certain events that we mark because of certain things that have happened. Oh, I remember that. That's when I left school. This is, you know those type of things. That's when I went on this trip. Or You have definite things that you remember. For him, it was, it was in the year that the king died. In the year that Isaiah died, Isaiah writes this, I saw the Lord. So he had this vision, or he saw physically, we don't know. I think it's a vision. He had a vision of God. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. So these are spiritual beings that he sees. They've got six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. You see, Isaiah has this vision, and he sees the majesty, the awe of God. There's something that is fearful, there's something that is wonderful, there's something that provokes awe within him as he is gazing upon this sight. The result of what he saw, this vision that captured his attention, the result is found in verse 5 of that chapter 6. Woe is me. As was put up on our screens, I'm doomed. Now what's going to happen to me? You see, that's the sort of thing that you feel when you are fearful about something. What's going to happen to me? What's happening next? I don't know. I'm afraid. That's the fear of God. And for him, he just suddenly said, that's it. I'm finished. In the presence of God, in, when I see him for what he is like, I'm finished. I don't know what to do. He actually cried, I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. He suddenly realized, my goodness, the things that I've been saying, they're not what God wants me to say. I, I, it's like I, I realize how different from him I am. The things that I have been saying, I am a man of unclean lips. And suddenly he realizes, but I'm living amongst a people of unclean lips. The whole society that I'm living in is corrupt. He sees things for what they really are. He gains an understanding. And that is why he says, I'm doomed. He says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There was something so awesome about the character of God which left Isaiah in fear of who God was. The same thing happened with the Apostle John. Now we jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, there John is describing what happened to him. He's on the island of Patmos, it's on a Sunday morning, and he's just sort of, wow, God, you're good. He's worshipping God. Father, you can just imagine him looking out and saying, Lord, this beach scene looks great. Sunshine, because obviously it's sunnier that day. This is really nice. Yeah. Wonderful. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven 
golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His hair and his head were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. See the awesomeness. You can imagine it. You're just going about your daily business. Sunday, I'm thinking about God. I'm worshipping God. Maybe just standing outside in the back garden in the sunshine. And you suddenly hear this voice. So what's that? So for John, what's that? So he turns around. And as he turns around, he sees a lampstand. You could be thinking, oh, a lampstand? What's all that about? But as he looks at the lampstand, suddenly he sees the presence of Jesus there. Jesus is here. His voice is beyond description. The light that is coming from him. And all that happens to John, John just falls on his face. Like he was dead. You see, the presence of God, the awesomeness of God, in one sense, it's, it's too much for us. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. It is beyond our understanding. It goes as much as our understanding can take and then beyond that. And so it has this effect of, of Isaiah crying out, I'm finished. Of John saying, I'm doomed. And lying down as though he was dead. Totally and utterly dead. The very character of God has been revealed to these people. And it's such incredible awe that comes upon the people who encounter God. That is the only way that I can describe to you or give you understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. For us to fear the Lord, it means that we are seeing Him. We're gazing upon Him. We're understanding what he is like. And that understanding always is growing from an initial place to a greater and greater understanding. But nevertheless, it is because we are looking at him and understanding him that we start to fear him. This incredible reverent awe that we feel when we think of him, when we see him. A sense of trepidation that we experience when we come before him. It's not so much that I am afraid that I must run away, but rather he is so wonderful and so other than me, I am completely transfixed by who this God is. That is how I could describe to you the fear of the Lord. You know, in writing to Timothy, Paul, in one of his letters, his first letter, he's starting to sign off the letter and he writes this. He says, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul is expressing something of what he knows about God. Maybe these are just words to say, well, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's writing these things. And then he says, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Suddenly Paul is writing something that is, it almost sounds, okay, he's had an encounter. He's seen something of this. This God... 
He li- he's in unapproachable light. Have you ever stopped to think what that is actually like? We understand light. We understand lights that are bright and they're difficult for us to come to. This light that is describing what God is like, he dwells, the place where he lives is unapproachable light. In other words, it is so bright, it is almost causing you to, to stand back. You see, there's something of the awe and the fear of God that is being described by Paul in his letter to Timothy. This fear is supposed to be in our hearts. The fear of the Lord, Moses said, if we have that fear within us, it will keep us from sinning. Why? Because we see the awesomeness of who he is. You know, it's interesting, if we take this a step further, we can go into Acts, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, and you start to find a story there about two people, Ananias and Sapphira. They were saved people. They were in the church, and the church at that time was on fire. They were doing many things. If you look at the previous chapter, the end of chapter 4, you see how the Christians were behaving. They had everything in common. They got to such an understanding of the love of God and the need for unity and the fact that God was with them and what he had done and how he was changing their lives. The power of God was with these people so they were living with each other. They didn't mind sharing things. In fact, they felt that we must share things. People who didn't have food, they made sure they had enough food. There was a commonality among the people. And we read about it and sometimes we sort of think like, wow, I wish we could get to that place. Well, we have a way to go yet. There's something more of the fear of the Lord that they understood that took them to that place. My possessions we tend to hold on to, but suddenly these people are saying, like, my possessions, what are they? Let's share them. And it got to the point where people were actually saying, we care so much, we want to see transformation in our community. So what we're going to do, actually, I've got some land. I, I, I know this is the place where I live, but I've got some spare land. So I'm going to sell that land, I'm going to give that money to the church so that the work of the kingdom of God can go ahead. I'm trusting God to look after me. It doesn't matter. I can sell that. And so people in that community were selling properties, were selling pieces of land, and they were giving the money to the apostles to say, let the work of the kingdom of God go ahead. Wow, what a time to live in. But this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they were Christians. They were part of this community. That's the environment that they were living in. They would have had amazing worship times. They would have had amazing prayer times. And they would have been part of that. They would have understood that. They also had a piece of land. And they decided, we we want to sell that land. We want to give the money uh, to the apostles. We want to give the money to the apostles and and bless the church, just as we've seen other people are doing that. But they they decided to sell the land, but they decided to say, we sold this land for £50,000, but we're actually going to give £45,000 to the apostles. And we're going to say, that's how much we sold it for. And the other 5,000, we're just, we're just going to keep for ourselves. But that's very generous of them, isn't it? 45,000. I mean, obviously, that's my figures, not theirs. I don't know how much it was. But if you're selling a piece of land, it's a lot of money, and I'm just putting it in something of our terms. So they come to give 45,000 pounds. Actually, if it's in our terms today, it's probably like 125,000 pounds. They're giving. But they're going to keep back 10 grand for themselves. The issue was they, they, didn't, they, they made out as though they were giving everything. I'm giving my all. I sold this land. We, we've bought all this land, this land and we bought all the proceeds we give to you. So Ananias goes in before Peter and Peter questions him. 
Because the Holy Spirit had revealed to Peter what the real truth was. Peter says to Ananias, thank you so much for the gift that you've brought to us. We really appreciate that. Actually, he doesn't say that. Peter says this, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? God sees everything. God knows everything. And here we have an instance where God told somebody else about what he knew. So he tells Peter, one of the key leaders, he says to him, look, they're bringing this money to you, but you can say to them, how come they're telling you a lie? That's not the full amount of money. And the funny thing is Peter says to him, look, didn't the land belong to you? Why didn't you just say, we're going to keep 10,000 back and we're going to give the rest? Why not be open and honest? Folks, what stops you from being open and honest? What stops you from holding back? Shall I tell you? Some form of fear in some area of your life. We fear what other people might think. We feel the response of others. We think that people will look down upon us. We think that our, who we are, the respect that we try to carry will suddenly go down. All sorts of reasons. And some of them, let's be completely honest, we don't do it because we, we do it to protect ourselves, but it's not always about protecting ourselves. It's about actually looking after others. We just want to do the right thing. And they obviously felt embarrassed, ashamed. I don't know what. Felt it was the wrong thing. We can't, everybody else is giving everything. Our hearts are saying we should keep a bit back. We feel really difficult about what the others would feel. God wants us as Christians to know that he is an awesome, powerful, mighty God who sees and knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. This is really scary. And that's what the fear of the Lord is about. It's helping us to understand, my goodness, God really is somebody who needs to be feared. Because he is so awesome. Yes, he is so loving. Yes, he is so kind. But everything about him comes into this thing. He is literally a burning fire. And when you get near a burning fire, you fear, oh, I might be actually burnt myself. And yet this God who is a burning fire is the God who is able to come into a burning fire and rescue the men that have been put there, as was the case with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He can be in the fire. He can protect you from the fire. Or he can burn you with fire. He can melt you. This is who our God is. So Peter talking to Ananias is saying, didn't the land you have uh, belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And what happened to him? He fell down dead. Ananias died. Now, I mean, obviously, we want to say, well, why did he die? What was all that about? What was the purpose? This guy was a Christian. Yeah, hang on a second. There's lots of questions that come with it, but there's also something we're trying to understand. There is a, a fear of the Lord. There is an awesomeness about God. And if God was to break out against the things that are sometimes hidden in our hearts, where would we be? You see, when you think about that, you think, well, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that thought. I'm not going to behave that way. 
I'm actually going to live openly and honestly before people. In fact, I'm not living openly and honestly before them. I'm living openly and honestly before God because that's the one that really matters. And so we see with Ananias. Now, if you read the story, you find out that actually a bit later on, Peter calls in the wife. So Sapphira comes in. And he asks her the same question. You know, hang on, you didn't have some money. What happened? He didn't tell her that her husband had died. He says, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? You can imagine the scene like, you know, they've sold it for 150000 It's going up all the time, actually. <laughs> it's a good deal. They sold the land for 150000 Here's 140000 they've bought. Wow. Did you sell, how much did you sell the land for? 140,000. That's what she would have said. 140,000. You didn't. You didn't. Why, why are you behaving like this? What's causing you to do this? What's causing you to behave in this manner? What's causing you to hold back? Guys, you can come back, by the way, to the team. What's causing you to hold back? How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the men who buried your husband are coming to bury you. She falls down dead. You know what it says? It says that great fear fell upon the whole church. Uh, hardly surprising, is it? It's hardly surprising. Just imagine if that had happened here this morning. You wouldn't be going home thinking like, Oh, it doesn't really matter how I live. Tomorrow, I'm doing everything right. I don't care what it costs. (laughs) I've just seen God wipe people out. I'm, 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 I'm behaving. Suddenly at home, you know, how can I help you, love? Can I help you do the dishes? Can I help take the rubbish out? Can I do this? I'll, I'll do anything that's necessary. I'm living. You see, we may well laugh. I want to ask you this question. What fear is holding you that you would seek to live in hypocrisy before God? What fears that we just put down to, you know what, that's just life. Everybody's afraid of the dark. People are afraid of walking down dark alleyways. I don't want to walk down an alleyway that you can't see really where you're going. There's a sense that comes upon you. But what fear do we really need to have? It is this one fear. If we're really going to live, then we need to have the fear of the Lord upon our lives. And the thing is this. What is it that we're wrestling with? Are you wrestling with the fear of crime coming against your life? Are you worried about whether your home is going to be broken into? Are you worried about whether you're going to have enough money to live on in the future? Are you worried about if you're in a lift and the lift was to break halfway down and suddenly you can't get out because you don't like enclosed spaces? Are you fearful of going into water? Are you afraid of all sorts of things? Economic disasters, political disasters? Are you afraid of what the government is going to do next? Are you afraid of the things of the world? Listen, we may laugh, but this is truth. For somewhere, somebody, these things are truth. You're worried about the ice cap melting? Listen, there's only one person that we need to fear. If you're going to fear anybody, you need to fear the Lord. It even says in Scripture, who are you going to fear? You need to fear the one who has the power not to kill you, but the one who has power over you after you are dead. The one who looks at that situation of your life. That means that God is saying to us, listen, you might well be afraid of the enemy and what he can do. He can kill you, but listen, I'm the one who has power over life and death. He is the one. And I want to say to you this morning, what is it, what fears are in your life? 
Be, be real with yourself. What is it you're battling with? The fear of what other people think, the fear of relationships going wrong, the fear of economic disaster, I don't have enough provision, I'm worried about how I'm going to survive, I'm worried about my husband, I'm worried about my children, I'm worried about this. Listen, there's only one person we need to fear, and that is the fear of the Lord. Please, will you stand up? We're just going to sing a song. Sarah's going to lead us in a song. But I, I want to use this as a time of response, not, not to me. A time of response before God for yourself. Especially if you are locked with... If you feel... Look, fear dominates my life in a way that the fear of the Lord does not dominate my life. That means something is out of balance. It means that you need to see him... We all need to see him, okay? I'm not putting myself above anybody else. I need to see him. I need the fear of the Lord. But I'm speaking here particularly about those people who know that there are fears in general life that there's not an equilibrium, it's out of balance. Those fears control you more than the fear of the Lord does. You need to respond to him and come to him and say, Lord, I've got it wrong, I need to see you. Please come and reveal yourself to me. As we start to sing this song, I want, if that's you, I want you to come forward. You're not coming forward to me, you're coming forward to God. You're coming forward to say, God, I need you, and I need you to help me with this. So you can come and have a time of repentance. You can come and have a time of connection. You can come and have a time of meeting with him and of calling him to say, Lord, please come. Come now. If that's you, come now. But Sarah's going to start to lead us.